Hello. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the pod. Welcome to the pod. I'm going to start calling it pod now because I guess that's what you call podcasts. Yeah, well, each episode is just one pod. Right. It's a good oh, pod. Oh, okay, yeah. I like saying, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, da, da, da. We watched Soylent Green. Yeah, I had never seen it before. Did you know it was people? I'd heard that it was people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, sorry. It's but like, it, that, this is definitely one of those, if you don't know that by now, I don't know. I know, I know. It, it was kind of a bummer, too, because like as they were like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, I really wish I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, as you try your best to be able <clears throat> to watch it as if you were mm-hmm. an audience that had no idea what's going on. Like, you can still appreciate any yeah. movie, even if you know the ending, but it's such the ending that right. you can't. Yeah, I mean, Titanic people still saw. They knew the ending of that. Right, exactly. Well, because that's also just a beautiful love story. Yeah, and God, you really learn a lot. This anyway. wasn't a love story, I would say. Yeah, but. quite the opposite. <laughs> Should we listen to a trailer? Yeah. It is the secret of Silent Green. New York City in the year 2022. Nothing runs anymore. Nothing works. But the people are the same. And the people will do anything to get what they need. This is the police. What they need most is Soylent Green. The supply of Soylent Green has been exhausted. Return to your home. Fight for survival and try to solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. The search for the secret of Soylent Green. You will find out why Soylent Green means life. You will find out why Soylent Green means death. We gotta stop him! Come on! What is the secret of Silent Green? Please! Man. (laughs) Ominous. The world is going bad. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, this was based off of a novel that took place in 1999. Mm -hmm. And the novel was called Make Room, Make Room. Right. (laughs) And it described a world with a population of over 7 billion. Oh, gosh. That is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Where are we now? 7.5. That's what I thought. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. (laughs) Pretty crazy on that front. But it was wild to learn that the original short story had nothing to do with... Like, there was Soylent. There was something called Soylent, which was a combo of soy, like soybeans and lentils. Yeah, yeah. That sustained people. Because, God, plant-based diets, how horrible is that? Am I right? Right. Well, God, everybody has to deal with that. (laughs) You know, and then this movie, they decide to up the ante and be like, not only is there Soylent, but... It's made of human flesh. Well, it makes sense if you've only got such limited resources. Wouldn't you just be like, well, what are we going to throw these bodies away? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just don't know. Matrix style. But so, yeah, I think the what's his name? Harry Harrison or something. Henry Harrison was the guy that wrote it. Something. Oh, it was a double H. Harry Harrison. Right. Well, he specifically didn't like the whole concept of the furniture women or like the furniture oh, girls. Right. That was the other thing. There's like women that are amenities to apartments. Yeah, they call them like the a furniture. Total dystopian mm-hmm. fuckfest. And that being said, I think it's I mean, it adds that extra level of just disturbingness yeah because I, I think that also the soil and green being people was not in the novel mm. and 
you know, he didn't seem to have a problem with that. This is like right around the time that, you know, freeze dried meals are a thing like uh-huh. Tang, NASA made famous in the 60s. And, right. And just these kind of like meal replacement things. So I think it's also, you know, they're, in the movie, they're talking about like when I was a boy, food was food. And right, you know, right. I think it's it's still at this advent of like kind of fake food yeah well it's also in 73 was like when we were really fucking up the environment with smog and pollution and stuff and the epa was just coming into existence to Mm -hmm. be able to turn around clean up a lot of the rivers in america and it was just like what if we went down this road further and further and just overpopulated and then the movie takes place in 2022 Mm -hmm. in new york city where it has a population of over 40 million and right now, the population of New York City is about 8.5 million. Right. So it's severely overpopulated. Oh, I have another interesting tidbit from Harry Harrison. Quote, the idea came from an Indian I met after the war in 1946. He told me overpopulation is the big problem coming up in the world. And he said, want to make a lot of money, Harry? You have to import rubber contraceptives to India. I didn't mind making money, but I didn't want to be the rubber king of India. Like, so instead, I wrote a novel called Make Room, Make Room. Yeah, well, it worked out for him, I guess. Gosh, here we are. Any other interesting facts about the movie? I don't have anything. Okay. Else. Oh, wait. Well, unless you yeah. wanted to talk about Edward G. Robinson dying 12 days after filming. Ooh, yeah, and that's a... His death scene in the movie was the last scene that he ever filmed. And yeah. like Charlton Heston didn't know that he was dying of cancer at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, looking back on it, Heston was like, I was wondering why I was so emotionally engaged in that scene yeah. with him. It was because, like, he knew that he was dying. Oh, yeah, that's pretty existential and awesome. Yeah. What a way to go, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be a crazy, famous movie star, you might as well be like, here I go, world. (laughs) Yeah. This is it. Make me into food. (laughs) God. Oh, that's right. I forgot. It's people. Okay, so we were talking last week in the Contagion episode about pandemics and what, what we would do in a world where some virus went crazy and mm-hmm. just like infected half the world. And I was reading this article. This was released in 2013 in Scientific American, and it's called What 11 Billion People Mean for Disease Outbreaks. Mm. So it references this study that was published in 2008 in the journal Nature. Dr. Peter Daszak, he's a disease ecologist and the president of Eco Health Alliance, and he was talking about in this study that between 1940 and 2004, there's been more than 300 new infectious diseases that have emerged. Ooh. And more than 70% of the, those diseases are zoonotic, which means that they originated in wildlife. So like last week, I was talking about the Nipah virus that ravaged Malaysia in 1999, SARS yeah. as well. Like both of those are viruses that start in bats. Uh-huh. You were talking about the H1N1 virus, which was responsible you know, for the Spanish flu pandemic. Yeah, the 1918. Like, between like 30, 50 million people that it killed. 50 50 and 100 million. Yeah. Oh, God. It's insane. It's a lot of millions of people. Yeah. Holy crap. So this this study references the fact that in the second half of the last century, the world's population has grown from 2.5 billion. I right. think we're beyond that point. We're at, at 7.5. Point. But even think about that. Already that amount of growth in such a short amount of time has started changing how we deal with diseases or yeah. because like the more people on the planet the more interactions with different ecosystems and different animals mm-hmm. that we hadn't you know certain pathogens that we hadn't anticipated ever run having. into before yeah it's like you know it's chicken pox but with all these new fucking things yeah and and sometimes our bodies haven't evolved to deal with them 
in most cases, that's why these things happen, actually. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're either super young or super old. One would assume that this kind of population growth is just going to continue because the latest population projections from the, the United Nations estimate that the world's population will reach 9.6 billion at least by mid-century and 11 billion by 2100. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I looked into like the max carrying capacity for the planet mm -hmm. of like how many humans can the planet hold. Right. And a lot of scientists think that the max capacity of planet Earth is 9 to 10 billion people. Mm. What I had read was that they expect it to be 9 billion people by 2050, 10 billion by 2100. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So the estimate that this max capacity thing is based on is calculations of the Earth's available resources. Uh -huh. So even in the case of maximum efficiency, meaning like if all of the grains grown are dedicated to feeding humans instead of feeding livestock that then feeds humans because that's a really inefficient way of getting energy out. Mm -hmm. If everyone agreed to become a vegetarian, the 1.4 billion hectares of arable land would support about 10 billion people if everybody chose to become a vegetarian, right. which is very unlikely to happen. Certainly very unlikely. That's super interesting that you brought that up because I'm going to talk about Soylent later mm. in the broadcast. And Oh gosh, it's such a complicated tale. We talked right. about fake meat before yeah, we've like about, growing meat in a lab and yeah, that kind of stuff which there's even like really new stuff that i was reading today like there's memphis meats they have like a new chicken yeah nugget yeah it sounds Ooh. really good i don't Ooh, know i know <laughs> so apparently though global fertility rates are dropping right, right now and they may drop to below or at replacement level is mm -hmm. what it's called and so that's 2.1 children per women. That's like the amount to replace all the people who are dying. But that's what's so interesting is because you have to take into account all these weird generational and cultural changes. Because mm -hmm. it's like the more you educate people about birth control and like allow mm -hmm. people to, you know, control their own body and their own reproduction. Super well, fuck, I, I just started watching <clears throat> The Handmaid's Tale last oh, night. Oh, God. Have that's too much it? for me right now. I, no, I'm I sure that it is. I was yeah. going to say like it's probably way too many triggers for you. I but like, yeah. yeah, it takes place in a world where fertility rates drop to like 0.01% yeah. or something. And society becomes very puritanical and terrible towards women. Yikeronies. But if, especially the fertile women. Right. But, you know, it, it is an interesting thing that, like, if we can get it down to below or at replacement level, then we will kind of level out at about 9 to 10 billion. But I still feel like for the time being, there's going to be a steady growth of people. Yeah. And which yeah. is why it was just interesting to hear about these fucking crazy pandemics, you yeah. know? Because these, especially in these highly populated, densely populated cities, mm sure you might have better communication capacities so like you might see warning signs early you know it's like mm. oh we had this whole neighborhood of people that started sniffling and snoofling like <laughs> oh boy just with everybody together in close quarters you mean yeah researchers are constantly trying to figure out not only just like study the relationship between humans mm. and the ecosystem and see how these you know pathogens start how they form how it's possible to, to hop from a from a species and wildlife to humans mm -hmm. and then like predict where those hot spots are going to be for example i was looking into this guy there's this gentleman stefan morris he's an epidemiologist at columbia university and he was in the early years of his career when the first outbreaks of hiv and aids happened in 1981 okay. so hiv aids is said to have originated in chimpanzees as we said mm -hmm. and up until this point is or and that, this is again based on 2013 statistics has already infected 60 million people and killed 30 million people like it's super intense so yeah. he then moved on to he he and his colleagues are working on a project called predict and it's part of the emerging pandemic threat program run by the u.s agency for international development what and does again, it stand for 
I don't. I didn't actually find a, an yeah, acronym. Right. It's like it's in all caps. Predict I'm sure there is. is. Yeah. Okay. It is. I'm yeah, sure there yeah. is, but I'm like whatever. You get what it is. It's pandemics really. Yeah. Emerging. Dude. For real, guys. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ay, 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 chihuahua. Anyway, so it's like it's like at the same time that we're trying to combat all of these issues, we're still realizing like, well, there's going to be more people. We better figure out how to fucking deal with these sicknesses, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like being proactive in but a then, place where, yeah. But then fixing all those illnesses is going to lead to more people. Exactly. Then, yeah, if yeah, people yeah. aren't dying off, it's like, where's the survival of the fittest there, people? <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's why, so like, if there is a, a scenario where people just stop being fertile enough to be above replacement level, yeah. that would be an amazing way to curb population growth and yeah. have it not be so brutal, not be based on famines, not be based on one-child laws it's or like something. It's like such a random fluctuation because, yeah, exactly, you have child restrictions, mm-hmm. like the number of kids that you're able to have, and then you have other families that are like, but I have 13 siblings. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's like all over the place. If we just kind of... 30 and counting or whatever the fuck. Yeah, what is it? I don't know. 13 is going on 30. Too many. There's a lot. going on 30. What a delightful romp. So the chefs, Josh Evans, Ben Reed, and Roberto Flair, work with this thing called the Nordic Food Lab, which is a Danish nonprofit that investigates food diversity and deliciousness. Oh, boy. And it's run by some of the best chefs in the world, They started researching insect recipes after a report from the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization in 2013 on edible insects and the future prospects for food and feed security. Mm -hmm. They made them realize, like, you know what? Let's make these bugs taste good. Right. So in South Africa right now, termites are served with maize porridge. Oh, boy. You can get spicy grasshopper tacos in Mexico. You can get, in Indonesia, dragonflies boiled in coconut milk as a delicacy. There's lots of others. In Uganda, one of these chefs pan-seared a termite queen, and uncooked, the queen is almost entirely liquid, so this hardens it. And he said, it's like God's handmade sausage. The the finished dish, served in several delicate bites over a slice of mango, is luxurious, he said. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm mixed... I'm not really mixed. Well, it's just complicated. Well, first of all, I always see these pictures on, you know, Instagram of someone being like, oh, look this crazy deep fried bug that I'm about to eat. Look right. how wild I'm being. So, you know, I'm being judgy there, but I also acknowledge like there is, you referenced the Food and Agricultural Organization, of which is of the United Nations, the FAO. Uh, and they say that, you know, if the population continues to reach 9.1 billion by 2050, the world food production will need to rise by 70%. So if that means if you can feed populations of people on insects, which there's like a fuck ton of insects right, out there, right. then on one hand, I'm like, okay, cool. But it doesn't, you know, when I'm looking at it on a population level, it's like that doesn't seem to fix the problem. Well, because the thing is, like, bugs are, first of all, highly n- nutritious. Mm-hmm. Mealworms have roughly the same amount of iron and protein as beef. Mm-hmm. Mealworms also produce significantly less greenhouse gas than any other farm, you oh, know, than pigs yeah. or I something like that. I mean, if you compare like it to the current system, it's like Right. Dumb. It's, they, they say mealworms generate 10 to 100 times fewer greenhouse gases per kilo than pigs. Yeah. There's also about 1,900 insect species that are a part of human diets for people in Asia, Africa, and Latin America already. I mean, that's... This raises a really interesting point for me because, you know, as you're talking about just the greenhouse gas emissions, the fact that 
food production, ag- like huge agro business is, mm-hmm. you know, a huge contributor. The beef, we talked about the methane, not just the farts, but the, right. <laughs> just the, but it's the also production like, itself. What I want to talk about a little bit is like, what is it in us that makes us go, ew, about foods that are unusual to us culture the same thing that makes people go ew about anything that they're uncomfortable with i I have read that like if you haven't tried sushi by the time you're 35 years old you're never gonna like sushi because it's like unique and weird i think it's literally just exposure i think people are closed-minded about multiple things simply because they're ignorant of it like i'm even the same way i didn't like sushi because it's weird to me and i i like slowly but surely like exposing myself to it and realizing like i don't have to be all in and just like full full on fucking sashimi but i'll do a roll yeah you know what i mean and so well, that's, I, that's I like what that I think about it is. these these chefs who are basically going like we need to start getting people used to this idea yeah. and we can make it tasty. Right. Totally. And I but it's it's interesting to have that mentality at the same time that so many people are becoming more and more uncomfortable with just like eating live things in general and right. realizing that we have to go off of that. So it's like right now I'm going through this thing where I'm like trying to be open minded. But there's part of me that's like, oh, we have to eat everything. But also it's like given that the choice between like a dragonfly industry and a right. giant factory cattle farm to me it seems like a no-brainer that the dragonflies would be better yeah or just for the planet certainly right. for right. the planet not um, for your taste buds right yeah but, or even still for my taste buds i just i've never tried right. it so of course i'm being like Ugh. well another thing that i was reading was that like the hunger issues today don't have to do with quantity but it has to do with access right because a third of all the food in the world gets thrown away or is wasted totally and that but fucks me up that brings me to the idea of gm foods which mm. a lot of people are against mm. and i tend to land on the side of i'm for gm foods and a lot of it has to do with making crops more resistant more preserved under like it doesn't make them dangerous it just makes us be able to get them to places where otherwise we would never be able to get food absolutely and i think i've come around on this or at least acknowledge that there's there's so fucking nuance in everything, right, but especially exactly. something like this where exactly. like, yes, there's a lot of, I think, corruption in the food industries out there. We uh-huh. do eat a lot of synthetic processed shit that we shouldn't be eating. Yeah. But I think that gets muddled with this idea that, mm-hmm. but with our technological advancements, you can also like, you know, make drought resistant seeds. We've exactly. talked about that on previous, you know, you. If, if the, given <laughs> the choice between starving children and not starving children, then I'm going to choose the not starving children situation. I would hope. I'm going to talk about that when, with the Soylent thing. Should I just go into go it? Go into Let's it. fucking do it. Let's do oh it. Oh, my God. Have you heard of Soylent? I have. You've probably it's like, heard of I know it it's like brand new. Right. I get a little facetious with it because it's like, did you name it after did Soylent you? Green? I mean, he did. Duh. He but did. like, <laughs> you know, the maybe he was naming it after the book. Nah, right, make room. You know, make room. yeah, maybe he was because the Soylent in that wasn't made of people, and <laughs> right. this, as far as I know, exactly. isn't. But it yeah, is he not. had like a big Kickstarter a few years ago. Yeah. Oh my God, let me tell you this story. So let's imagine, if you will, <laughs> 2012. Close your eyes. Five <laughs> odd years ago. <laughs> So 2012, there's these like three young tech startup dudes in Silicon Valley, right? They were, <laughs> they've received $170,000 for their project, which at the time was to make inexpensive cell phone towers, but okay. that was failing. They're also living in Silicon Valley, so rent is a fucking nightmare. This guy, <laughs> yeah. Rob Reinhart, who's the head honcho of Soylent, he was 25 at the time, and he had previously studied electrical engineering at Georgia Tech. Well, he's in this world trying to, you know, make his startup thing happening, but meanwhile, he's like, well, I gotta feed myself. I, not only is, is it expensive, Expensive, but it doesn't seem super efficient. You know, he's I could talking, be working when I'm eating this burger. Yeah, either that. Well, he basically it would boil down to like you need amino acids and lipids, not milk itself. You need carbohydrates, not bread. So he's figuring out a way <laughs> okay. to bypass because according to him. He's like food is a really inefficient way for me to receive these nutrients. So does this guy hate joy? 
We'll get into that. Okay. This guy is complicated. Okay. So he, he thought that food was an inefficient way of getting what he needed to survive. According to him, quote, it just seemed like a system that's too complex and too expensive and too fragile. I'm like, okay, boy. This is like type A. What is yeah. happening with this kid? He knocks it out of the park in terms of just like using your brain for something, whether you think it's good or not, okay. whatever. So he then goes on to study a bunch of these textbooks on nutritional biochemistry. He studies the websites of the FDA, USDA, Institute of Medicine. And from that, he compiles this list of 35 essential nutrients that we need to exist as people okay he orders those ingredients on the internet through in powder or pill form he pours that shit into a blender with water and then from that he has what you know the the new yorker article that i read quoted as gooey lemonade the mm. Gawker article I read quoted it as watered down semen is no. what it appeared oh. to look like. That's a much <laughs> but it has more a, accurate, I it feel has like. A odorless, if anything, like doughy smell. It sort of tastes oh. like watered down pancake batter. Oh. So gross, right? Yeah, definitely gross. And then he goes on to post this blog called How I Stopped Eating Food. He says, I haven't eaten, eaten a bite of food in 30 days and it's changed my life. He talks about being feeling like the $6 million man. He's got clearer skin, whiter teeth, all of this stuff. So as I'm reading it this far, I'm like, you're a fuck face yeah i don't believe yeah. that you're like enjoying your life right and so and that's where i was like at first like hands down no way jose like part of what <laughs> is to live a life is to experience those joys of eating and it should absolutely have flavor and all there's of this. a reason that eating and sex feels good for human right. beings it's because we have to do it evolution made it nice now this is where it turned in my brain and where i started to at least not just be like straight on judgy mcjudgerson when you ask the question of like, is this the end of food? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Now uh -huh. you're just using it as utility, just let, you know, like fuel for your fucking car. There's no joy. It's just like, I need to function. Mm. Let's do this. Also, let's keep in mind, he was, nobody should be put in this position because they just don't have money to feed themselves. Right. Like, that's what started this thing. Anyway, look, according- Silicon Valley guy, startup guy, he literally can't afford a sandwich. I guess this is where it gets interesting. Okay. According to him, he says, quote, most of people's meals are forgotten. Maybe in the future, we'll see a separation between our meals for, ut for utility and function and our meals for experience and socialization. Okay. He then goes on to refer to food that isn't soylent as recreational food. Okay. And it was so interesting. He, so he's basically being like, the human thing of sitting around a table and having a meal together right. is separate. Every meal, I mean, does it have to be remembered? I don't. I don't know. It was. I was just like super mixed about this. But even in this article, it says Soylent isn't necessarily coming for our Sunday potlucks. It's coming for you know your just frozen quesadilla. That's because we do eat a lot of poison, right. right? I think that's the argument. Is like, don't get rid of those nice dinners that you're having with family and you're doing all of this. It's when you're just like, ah, get a Big Mac or something. Right. That's not food either. Right. Well, so, yeah, yeah. Right. I do kind of think of like when I go to McDonald's, I don't think of it as eating food. Right. I feel like it's this other thing where I'm going to experience the taste of this. Exactly. And it's not nutritional. It's exactly. Not like like I'm so not there, eating that There's for that the pleasure calories. receptor. There's that like dopamine fix as mm -hmm. opposed to like, is that any more crazy and ridiculous than being like, well, if you just need this to sustain yourself eat something that's not going to maybe then also cause these side effects of like diabetes and whatever. Right. That, that, all the like processed carbos. If you can give me the sensation of eating a Big Mac without the mm -hmm. nutritional value of eating a Big Mac and instead I've eaten Soylent, but my brain feels like I've eaten a Big yeah. Mac, then I'm cool. But I do think like he was purposely trying to make it odorless and tasteless because he's like, no, this is separate from that, which is why it's so funny. Like Dude, he, he wants to make. Well, so he, he doesn't want to do like a Soylent chocolate version. Correct. He, wants, he doesn't want to do like 
things that people would be okay with right because well i mean in all fairness it's like you just add a bunch of sugar to something and make people want to eat it he's kind of against that but he's also against and where i my little like california green you know granola brain pipes in where he's like yeah all of this this like organic like everything has to be organic it's sort of similar to like fundamentalist christianity in my (laughs) opinion side note he was raised fundamentalist christian and later went on this you know he wanted to write some evidence-based paper for the legitimacy of creationism and then realized like that's not the case and became very anti- Oh. Christianity and then so now but he now he looks so at he all like of that looked stuff. into creationism and was like this yeah. doesn't add up and then he was like fuck so he you know he was <laughs> he was persuaded by the evidence but he approaches this organic all green natural lifestyle in that same way where I agree with him is with regards to GMOs like we were talking about right mm. I think there's the people that are like all organic all natural right. they separate that from GMO like it's all muddled. Right, it's like right. this weird disinformation campaign that there, nobody knows yeah, what the fuck is true Yeah, the whole like anymore. all natural thing too is like the labels that people are allowed to put on to claim that this naturally, mm. you know, does it have five percent natural something it, or exactly. does it? Is it? Yeah. So what's organic and what's not? I've always been, been suspect. Exactly. So. Well, that's why I'm saying this guy is so fucking complicated to me because in some cases I want to be like, fuck you. You're taking away my joy, man. Let's say 80% of your meals or even higher, you know, 90% of your meals are soylent. Mm -hmm. But then once a week you have your meal meal or, you know, every every once in a while you like sit down, you have like a real meal with people. And then the food shortages will be significantly reduced because most of your diet is the soylent thing. I'm so glad you said that because I was I was tossing that around in my head earlier of Mm -hmm. like how to justify it to myself. And I was like, this will require sacrifice. Right. But it doesn't mean that we have to sacrifice every Every meal. Every meal. And I, I mean, this guy is saying like you can sustain and straight up live on soylent. But I think for most people, there's a fucking balancing act here. Well, that's the thing where it's like, I strongly believe that even though a cookie is bad for you, it's good for you mentally enough that it outweighs the bad physically. There's a reason there's a term called soul food. (laughs) I mean, it is true. Especially when you're, uh, I mean, God, I'm not going to be like, let me list the holidays that are surrounded around food. Like, (laughs) it is so much a part of, yeah. And I'm okay with that. But that's at dinner. We we still have a. I guess what I was surprised to hear about is how how many people are like super into this like there's all these new fucking DIY recipes for Soylent where you basically like to get your lipids you put some canola oil in there you get your carbos from some maltodextrin and oat flour you get protein <laughs> from rice you get your fish oil for your omega-3s hey, you know we get a couple of omega-3s on that yeah you get some electrolytes throw that in there and bada bing bada boom you got the Soylent what I appreciated was the fact that yes what started to him as a way to like be more efficient with food he wants to eventually make it so that the omega-3 oil that originally comes from fish oil you could eventually get from algae. He later wants everything to be able to be produced from algae. Mm. The lipids, the carbos, the proteins, all of it. Algae that. is what they said Soylent Green was made out of. I know, that's why it's so weird. Art <laughs> imitating life and art. Blah. But he eventually wants there to be the single strain of algae that pumps Soylent out all day. Then, according to him, we don't need factories. We won't need farmland. We won't have any more wars over farmland Uh, uh, we'll be able to help malnourished people at the fraction of the cost and he had this to say quote it would take in the sun's energy and water and air and produce food then all we'd have to do is fix the world's housing problem and people could be free (laughs) and whether or not I feel that this is possible for a fucking 25 year old kid to even be thinking about this kind of stuff I'm like 
respect, bro. Well, I I still love food, but me too. I I've had protein shakes in the morning sometimes yeah. instead of a breakfast. I mean, and people like, do this shit by choice. They do the right. fucking you know lemon lemon juice and cayenne pepper fucking cleanses and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's I have a feeling there's obviously a huge market for this yeah. already. Never mind the potential good that it could have down the line when. We have nine or ten billion people. Yeah, on the exactly. When we actually need to just like drink dough. Can you cook the soylent into a pancake itself, and then why even put yourself through that for the maple just syrup? Just choke it down. So we've talked about the banana extinction before. Oh boy. And I just had one follow-up tidbit that I learned about recently. Okay, so just as a recap, in the 60s, there was a banana called the Gros Michel banana, and they went extinct from this fungus called Fusarium wilt. Gros Michel? Gros Michel. (laughs) Which I think think it means Big Mike. Uh, What? Yeah, it was the Big Mike banana. But So now we all eat the Cavendish banana. That's Mm -hmm. like the modern banana, which is also being now threatened by Fusarium wilt. But did you ever wonder why the flavor of candy banana, like banana flavored candy, doesn't taste like a banana? It doesn't taste anything like it, and yet I love it so. That's what the gross Michelle tasted like. What? The candy banana is imitating the original banana Whoa. that went extinct in the 60s. Oh man! So the, when I found that it. out, that blew my mind. I just like Those that as like a follow. Those were the days. Yeah, but that, but so we do because I was all mad that we never got a sense of what that flavor was. Right. But we do get a, a sense of it. Jeff, we now have the chance to finally say <laughs> that shit is <laughs> bananas. <laughs> yeah, we were so mad at ourselves for missing that opportunity when we were talking about the banana extinction. We kept being like on the verge of it. Like that yeah, is that is. B- 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 Bonkers. Like it was like, bald, yeah, it was like it kept getting closer and closer to banana. Yeah. Oh, we finally did it. So this like weird scene where Charlton Heston goes in and there's like running water and it's all clean and he like grabs a bar of soap oh, and right. he's like really intense about like, oh my god, this soap can <laughs> clean my face. And it just got me thinking about like, how do you make soap? Where's soap come from? You've never made soap. I've never made soap. Oh boy. But, I think we did that as a kid when we went to like the old prairie. I grew oh. up in Colorado, y'all. So <laughs> we were like, you can both make butter out of this milk. And oh, so you guys had like your own Colonial Williamsburg Hell type yeah. deal? Yeah. Out in the Midwest. But ours was like in the old mining towns of Georgetown yeah. and such. Yeah, yeah mine were in New England is like the old colonial villages. Oh, so of, cool though, man. Yeah, yeah. But so according to Roman legend, soap was named after Mount Sapo, an ancient site of animal sacrifices. Oh my God. So after an animal sacrifice, rain would wash the animal fat and the ash that had collected under the ceremonial altars down to the banks of the Tiber River. And then women washing clothes in the river noticed that if they washed their clothes in certain parts after a heavy rain, their clothes were much cleaner. And so that was the emergence of the first soap. They're like, ah, let's use this uh, animal fat. And ash. Oh, wow. There's also been soap-like material found in clay cylinders during excavation of ancient Babylon. Mm -hmm. So as early as 2800 B.C., Inscriptions on the cylinders say that fats were boiled with ashes, and that's a soap-making method. It's just gross, though, because, like, soap without all of the the smelly chemical stuff that makes it smell good is nar-nar. Right. It smells like like, fucking fat. Because soap is different from detergent, and detergent is entirely manufactured. And if you ever go into the store and you see something that says body bar, Mm -hmm. that is not soap. 
There's sure. no actual soap right. in that. It's just like so there's like laws about what you can call soap and right. what you can't. And so detergent is different from soap. But I even want to get into the like DIY hair shit because there's so many added needless chemicals that are not good for you. Mm. And it's all like perfumes and all of this bullshit. Right. That it's kind of nice when you're like, well, I have a little uh, peppermint oil. All you need is some animal fat and some some ash, you know? I prefer the like, the peppermint oil. Oh, you know what I love is that it's like Dr. Brownman's famous peppermint soap. And he was like, oh, you don't know? (laughs) No, I don't know. Oh, Brownman's. He was like a cuckoo cachoo. When you actually read the bottle. (laughs) You're like, yeah. The old soap master. (laughs) Right. But you're like, that's natural. Yeah. But by the second century AD, the Greek physician Galen recommended soap for both medicinal and cleansing purposes. So that was when it started getting in. Mm -hmm. But then in the Middle Ages, cleanliness was kind of seen like a bad thing. Like it was like cleanliness was the opposite of godliness. Oh, wow. And so like the real way to live was in filth. And this certainly led to the plagues of the day. So it wasn't just a lack of knowledge of how diseases spread. It was like a choice to be dirty. Right. That's what the slacker stoners say, too. You yeah. know what I mean? They're, yeah, just, you know. they're like trying to get close like, to God. Steve Jobs always, like back in his Atari days, he would yeah. never wear deodorant. And everybody yeah. would be like, this guy stinks. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, I don't need to wear deodorant. Yeah. And they were like, you do. You, you do, though. You You're stink. bothering all of us. So cleanliness started coming back into fashion in like the 1500s. And during Elizabeth I's reign, she reportedly took a bath every four weeks weeks whether she needed it or not oh you do need it after four that's weeks. that's what i'm there saying no it was like that, that was but like but at the time they were like look she did it every four weeks you... whether it was necessary or not in the 18th century bathing really came into fashion and in the same century louis pasteur realized that personal hygiene oh. would reduce the spread of diseases the old pasteurizing mm-hmm. Pasteur. it all in the 18th century everything kind of came back to make soap and cleanliness a reality again. But it's also interesting because like soap was basically only a good thing to use more and more until very recently with the idea of over sanitation causing like super viruses and stuff like that. Right, totally. So it's weird to think that like only now is there an overuse of soap that potentially could cause a problem. Yeah, we we weren't able to just, you know, find that middle ground now. Because even it's like, you're not supposed to Q-tip your ears, man. That earwax is there and you're like, what I... It's like if you never come in contact with a virus, then you're not going to have like the right immune system. And so like people trying to keep their babies clean and only washing your hands before you ever touch your baby. So basically what you're telling me is like you got to get a little gross. (laughs) You got to get a little bit gross. But I just think it's interesting that like for the last couple of thousands of years, the soap has only been like use it more and better things happen. And only recently are we realizing like we're using it too much. And also because there's like a profit motive there, right? Like there's I remember studying in college this guy Edward Bernays which was like he was like huge in the advertising world and stuff and I all of that stuff of just like this soap gets you cleaner and then there's that competition (laughs) that leads to just like chaos you go to a fucking Target now and I'm like there's 700,000 soaps right too many to choose this soap burns off your skin yeah exactly (laughs) just the top layer just the top layer because you want that that underdermal exactly (laughs) fresh like a baby's bottom So the slingshot, we've kind of touched on this before, because this is Dean Kamen, the guy who made the Segway. This is technology. What about the slingshot, though? What happened in the movie that was slingshot? Just remind me. It's a water filtration device that allows... It can transform the 97% of water that's undrinkable in the world to drinkable water. Wow. And it takes contaminated water, runs it through a vapor compression distiller that produces clean water, producing 250 gallons a day, which is enough for about 100 people. Wow. So he's trying to get the cost down to about $1,000 or $2,000, and he wants to get them to 
all sorts of villages in the third world, basically, so that they don't have to deal with incredibly dirty water. They can have this produce 250 clean gallons every day. Like the test devices have been used with anything that looks wet, including polluted river water, saline ocean water, and raw sewage. In a demonstration at the technology conference in 2004, Dean came and ran his own urine through the machine and then drank the clean water that came out. Right. God, it's so fascinating on a bigger conversation in terms of human innovation keeping up with how yeah, we're destroying the planet. Exactly. Like, it's this weird thing Are we going to beat it? Yeah. Are we going like, to beat our own deaths? I get so frustrated about thinking like, look at how we've ravaged the planet. But yeah. then you think about like, and yet we have we've evolved to the point where we can not only think about ourselves and be self-aware, but also feel like I am going to give more into the world than mm -hmm. I have taken. You know, like there, it's such a we're not, like that's not what bacteria does, right? I don't think so. You know, so. when we talk about like human beings as well, that's life where, being yeah, we've talked about us as a virus, and like what I was talking about before is that our intelligence, because we were talking about in relation to the zombie fungus with mm -hmm. the ants and how the fungus kind of limits its own self mm -hmm. so that it doesn't like overkill the ants. Right. I was thinking about that as like we know that we'll ruin this planet if we do this mm -hmm. and that's what may get us to do it but right. otherwise we're, we would just keep going like a virus but then also with that it's like are most viruses think alike right and then you have these people right. that it's like so many people Diverse think thinking. different yeah. Yeah. but so I, I do feel naive when i'm like well we'll innovate our way out of this problem <laughs> yeah. because it's like will we we yeah. might. Well, I've read about like there's a special material that they, that looks kind of like a pine tree mm -hmm. and they want to like plant these as forests mm -hmm. and they basically suck more CO2 out of the air, like 200 times more CO2 yeah. out of the air than a regular tree. As mm -hmm. destroyed as I am by human destruction in the world, I'm so impressed by human innovation. Like even burial pods, right? Where like right. you bury your remains and then you become a plant. Like, <laughs> yeah, become a oh, tree. those are really cool. It's, it's yeah. just there's ways of looking at our mortality and mm -hmm. looking at what life is and what how how we can make the world a better place. That's, That's so why I'm a long term absurd. optimist. I think you have to be because otherwise, what's the fucking yeah. point? Honestly, I know. Well, to talk a little bit more about water filtration devices, I read about this thing called the Life Straw. Mm -hmm. Now, this is different than Dean Kamen's Slingshot because this doesn't filter out like salt water or something like that, but it does filter out waterborne bacteria and parasites. Mm -hmm. So, if it's dangerous water, basically. It's a straw that has a filter inside of it, and they deploy these to the third world like after the Haiti earthquake in 2010 mm -hmm. or after the 2016 Ecuador earthquake. Drop all these straws, and it filters a maximum of 1,000 liters of water mm -hmm. or one person to drink for a year. So if you get one of these straws and you're in an area where it's like all the groundwater is basically contaminated with typhoid and, and other terrible mm -hmm. things, you could just stick this straw in and... It's I mean, clean. God, I'm really glad you brought that story up because I get to choose when I eat what I want to eat and mm. how delicious I want it to be mm -hmm. all the time. But there's so many people in the world that don't have that opportunity. And right. so it's like, I can't be a dick about this. Exactly. It's like there are people that are starving. And Well, that's I got to think that that's where Soylent will go eventually, where it's like, if we can mass produce Soylent, then we would, instead of like dropping food packages by the UN, the UN would be dropping Soylent packages. Exactly. And that would be awful for people who like food but at least people would be surviving. Yeah, but when you think about it, that the number of people that are suffering from chronic hunger, it's now past the 1 billion mark in 2009. Like, imagine 1 billion people to be, like, chronically hungry. Yeah. You were saying that some of the soylent can come from algae. Yeah. And I've talked before about the company Synthetic Genomics mm -hmm. that does the artificial DNA, and they want to build algae that can produce green 
fuel. Right, right. For cars. And even what isn't fucking like Exxon looking at Exxon's into that shit? W- partnered with them. Wow. But yeah, so like, could they also create the DNA for algae that would produce soylent? Right. I think one more thing to add though, too, is even if you're able to find the essential nutrients that you need and just slurp it, there's also stuff that's <laughs> like, we might not know the hardcore facts of whether or not they're essential, but like, there's lycopene, lysopene, I'm not sure how you say it, but that's what makes tomatoes red. And there's links between that and lowering prostate cancer. There's flavonoid which is what makes blueberries blue there's links to lower rates of diabetes so again Mm. like there's all these things that yeah you might get your essential amino acids and all of that stuff but there's a reason why people eat plants like we're designed we're made from the earth it makes sense that we would yeah everything that i'm reading about all this is like everybody should be a vegetarian yeah yeah (laughs) i'm like no and it's you know but but that's the problem too is like there's a way to talk about a plant-based diet and why it's important without like attacking like being able to like have a collective like group hug and be like we know this fucking sucks dude we love meatballs we love thanksgiving (laughs) turkey but like this is about something but you know what i mean because it's so emotional but i've said many times that like I want the, as long as we can recreate the experience of eating it, I don't care if I'm getting the nutrients from an actual animal. So if we can solve that problem, then Soylent 100%. Exactly. Well, and just thinking about his, Reinhardt's look at it, it just really, for a moment, had me start thinking about what my relationship with food is. And like, I know, like, I have a tendency to be like, ooh, I have free food. I'm going to need, I'm not hungry at all, but I'm going to just stuff my face. And, you know, you think about the fact that there are, disorders such as anorexia bulimia and like our weird relationship with food it's like i think it's always important to like question that but god it's psychologically it's where i'm like wow i guess this does go beyond utility yeah (laughs) well we're all gonna be eating bugs yeah exactly (laughs) and then there's the bug thing now all our problems are solved man (laughs) oh you see a little dragonfly that got in your house flash fry it with some fucking coconut coconut milk milk and you're in it is a delicacy (laughs) that coconut milk shit that's a huge craze right (laughs) yeah oh boy You got any favorite lines? I think the only one I kept track of was when I was a kid, food used to be food. And that basically yeah. ties into everything we've talked about. We're like, yeah, dude. I yeah, him God, just being I... like, wow, where did you find that steak? I know. <laughs> it was interesting to even think about Tang. You know, the yeah, 60s. Yeah. <laughs> my dad went through, this is a total sidebar, but like my dad <laughs> went through a pretty severe Tang phase. Did I ever tell you about I this? I think so. I came home one night and he like made this whole chicken dinner fucking Tang marinade, you know? <laughs> it was a disaster. <laughs> so that's the problem too, is like this whole new generation, right? Like my mom's generation, even the baby boomer generation that's like TV dinners became a thing. We right. become so less about that true experience of cooking a thing so it's like we like the pleasure of eating but like are really not about what it takes to actually make a meal so it's it's this weird like trying to well that's what nature box is all about hey guys we're not sponsored by any of those blue aprons right now but you know i wish isn't the whole point of that is like they send you the ingredients that you want i was actually i I i've been thinking about doing it do it i did the only reason i stopped is because you can only order it for two people you can't order it for one so i was single for a long time and it would i was like i can't get through these meals but it's amazing and you're learning to cook and you know i'm not gonna go on this big rant about how we should bring home back to school and all this stuff but like these real life skills like we have such a bizarre fucked up relationship with food where it's like we don't even care where it comes from just put it in front of us so like i get it we need to kind of re reassess where where we stand there but i don't know i need to find some middle ground between soylent and then just like 
Big Mac City, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if anybody from any of those Blue Apron places are listening, sponsorships are open. Totally. I will shout it from the highest rooftop. I really believe in you guys. <laughs> Did you have any one-liners? Oh, there was the line, don't you ever get mad? And the response is, what for? And it's like just that <laughs> defeatist attitude of like, at this point... Right. The world's fucked. Why would we even try? And, that's and a lot what of people like do have that. At, yeah. yeah, yeah. As long as we can avoid that, then we're pretty good. God, if we haven't completely gotten to that by now, after all the <laughs> shit, even just this nation has been through, let alone oh, the world, God. it's like, don't, can't stop, won't stop, y'all. Keep it going. <laughs> all right, so we watched Scanners. We know that that's going to be our next episode. Yeah, David Cronenberg's 1981 Scanners is next. <laughs> Love these old So that's going to be interesting. If you could rate and review us on iTunes, please go ahead and do that. Absolutely. You can comment on the message boards at nobutthatsathing.com. We're at nobutthatsathing on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at It's a Joy Amia on Twitter and, and I'm Insta. At Jeffrey Action. <laughs> I'm slowly I'm inserting all of them. Adding more Insta. Insta. There's always Pinterest. Fun yeah. No Pinterest here. Not yet anyway. Bumble. I still don't get it. What is it? Pinterest? Pinterest, just pictures of things that you would like. I don't I don't know, but I hate the website every time I wind up going okay, to it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> anyway, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any way to educate us, we love hearing and learning new things, so shout us out. Bye, guys. Yeah. <laughs> shout us out. Have a good week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.